0: The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed during this or any broadcasts belong solely to our guests or our hosts. These broadcasts do not represent or reflect the views of their employers, sponsors, or affiliated organizations. Welcome to the Flipboard EDU podcast with your host, William Jeffrey, where we collaborate, communicate, and educate with the greatest educators in the world on Flipboard. Let's start the show.
1: Welcome back, Flipboard fam. This is your favorite coach, Coach Jeffrey. And Tyrell Key, the president-elect of the Illinois School Counselors Association, speaks with me about the discrepancies and how some minority teachers are identifying biases in education that promotes various stereotypes. Tyrell is also a high school counselor in Collegeville, Illinois, and has worked as an educator for 15 years. He's currently working on his doctorate in educational leadership and writes for the Illinois School Counselors Association about mental health related topics. In this episode, we identify several biases that play a crucial role in maintaining systemic racism in education in America. We also discussed the impact of gerrymandering on school funding and how COVID 19 has increased pressure on children in poverty. So, like we always do about this time, let's collaborate, communicate, and educate with the best educators in the world right here on Flipboard EU Podcast. Welcome back Flipboard fam. This is your favorite coach, Coach Jeffrey. And I have an amazing guest here tonight. And man, when I tell you we're about to get real deep, it's about to get real deep. My man, Tyrell Key. Welcome to the show.
0: Hey, thanks for having
1: me. Tell our listening audience a little bit about yourself.
0: So my name is Tyrell Key. I am a counselor, at of high school in Illinois. I am the president of the school counselor association. Recently, I began doing training for Madison County uh, Regional Office of Education about uh, having conversations about race within the school system, like how to support students, how to support staff, things of that nature. I've also presented for College Board, Raise Me, and uh, a few other organizations as well. So just happy to be here today.
1: Hey, Mr. Key, I'll show I'm glad you're here, man. So we was just getting to know each other through our mutual friend, Patience Ed, which I want to give a shout-out to Patience. How has COVID-19 affected your school system?
0: It has made everything significantly harder. Like education, but like when you have, so we're operating right now in a hybrid situation. So we have our students that are two days out of the week. Mondays, we're doing like a remote planning day. Then like kids are remote learning on their opposite day. So either uh, Tuesday, Thursday, or Wednesday, Friday. Just a lot more difficult like to really to, to want to reach students, a lot of times when uh, it comes time to do work and they're not supported or they're not getting daily reminders from the teacher, it's, it's difficult for them to handle that like the type of responsibility. Some of our kids, because we're at 54% uh, reduced lunch, so a lot of our kids are working more hours now like to support their family. Maybe their parents are laid off or whatever, so the kids are working. Or they're babysitting. We recently uh, bridged and a technology divide too. Like we've been working on getting hotspots for all of our kids that don't have Wi-Fi access. So this has been a challenge, but and we're getting better.
1: Excellent. And you and I were having a conversation when when I first wanted to get you on the show, and we were talking about um, how systemic racism in education plays a role in getting uh, resources to students. What role do you think systemic racism? And education has played into servicing those students who need help the most.
0: To me, happens like at the state level where people don't want to provide resources. So, like in Missouri, they have the Missouri funding, uh, like uh, school funding formula, and they wrote in like into it all of these provisions that uh, restrict the amount of money that can actually go to uh, the schools that are impoverished. They put in into it like different codes. So, say for example, like I think it's based on two thousand five. So if your uh, district only had X amount of money in 2005, they're not going to reduce your funding if your uh, community continues to grow and make more money. But like with other schools, like they're still based on 2005. So if they're getting poor or people getting laid off or if they've historically been poor, they're not getting more resources. So I just feel like a lot of it happens at the state level. And I feel like some of it, like we can control now, like in combating systemic racism, racism by electing in local elections, officials that are actually going to take care of us, like finding ways to uh, combat gerrymandering. Like, so there's still some issues like with, as far as like hiring inequities, testing inequities and stuff like that we need to work on. But I feel like a lot of the disparities in funding come from the state level, because that's where we get a lot of our funding. And then also in local tax laws. So if you in Missouri, I'm not sure how it is in Texas. But in Missouri, like all it, like a lot of your funding comes from your like your local tax base. So if you go to a school within the county, all of that money has to come from like the businesses in that county. So if you live in a poorer area, like you're not going to get additional level uh, tax revenue. Like if they don't have as many businesses.
1: Yes, and there's something called the Robin Hood law, and with the Robin Hood law is that the school districts who make the most money help to fund the lower income um, school districts. So that's the law that we have done in in Texas. However, the bad side to that is that there are certain areas who are just, or certain schools who just continue to build and do things before they have to give their money up to the state. It comes Uh, to a point where you would either need to build, Do things on your campus every year, have a new project so you can make sure that your students are getting what your students need in your community. So that could be an issue in the state of Texas. Uh, We have gripes about that. School funding is such a tricky thing because you have things like gerrymandering and the political biases of one group to the next of course the teachers and administrators should get out and vote is it more so the educators fault for not educating the public on what's needed in the school system uh,
0: check- the egg type situation. I feel like some of it is on the schools um, because we do need to build better community relationships. We need to have relationships with the businesses, relationships with the parents that way, or and also like with the community at large that don't actually even have children. And whenever it's time like that, we need to pass some type of tax levy or something like that, you have that type of support. But on the other hand, like, like people are gerrymandering, like they are paying people to come in and draw maps that will. Put all of the power, like I think they call it like cracking and like it's something like two different things, like cracking and fracking or something like that where they break the votes, And then you end up with these jurisdictions that don't make any sense. So like you could have all of these representatives that can put more money in these different school funding formulas. it's, It's a
1: mess. Racism knows no boundaries. What are some of the long term effects of systemic racism in education? from your eyes.
0: There are people that are actively restricting opportunities for other people. I mean, look, like the damage is immeasurable. We all know somebody who's way smarter than us that did not have that opportunity. You know what I mean? And it just, and it's cyclical too. At times like I might even come off of like, Hey, you work hard. You can have this or whatever, but there's some people that might not be able to, I and mean, that's just real. Like they might not have those same opportunities or maybe overcoming some type of mental health issue, but they're not having that type of support. There's all kinds of ways. That I feel like systemic racism impacts everything.
1: We did a show where we talked about systemic racism, but we didn't incorporate the tools that the, the effects of it. Looking at the unrealistic views of wealth and management of wealth in the music culture that is pumped in by our students. Is that another one of those issues that can be changed by teachers?
0: I think that you know, we need to talk to our students. It's hard to see delayed gratification when you're living more than high needs. When you have a Modelo-type situation where you're wanting food, water, shelter, you start wanting money fast. Or if you see a certain person get more respect, you're going to feel like like you got to do these things especially when you see the teacher someone that doesn't have a lot of respect or power and stuff like this. So we're kind of combating issues within the community on top of just the fact that kids need a lot of things. So like I think that mentors, like bring mentors in, I'll connect them with an engineer. Or if you want to be an FBI agent, well, I connect you with somebody I know that's an FBI. Or if trying to find good mentors, people that they could actually talk to that's been through it, that's seen some of the things that they've seen and uh, has actually made it to wherever they want it to be. I think that would be good. But a lot of times with teachers, depending on the nature of the student, I'm not sure if that's all that they need. I feel they might need a little bit more, like a mentor.
1: What I've noticed is, because I love rap music, but it Mm -hmm. has shifted from where I grew up with it. But originally, the purpose of it was to communicate marginalization and, and to bring togetherness. And as I get older, and as I still interact with the art form, I see that there is just some things that it tends to keep us down in that mindset. So when I was asking that question, the unrealistic views of wealth, I noticed that even my own son, who is not in an impoverished situation whatsoever, is still falling victim to those same tenets, the same two Mm. things that we have always been since the 20s. Either you're going to be an athlete or you're going to be a musician.
0: Yeah, man, I feel like this, I, everybody thinks that, like, you're going to become an athlete because of, you want to make all this money. Just all the boys that I talk to, like, a lot of them want to be an, an athlete or a rapper. So, yeah, I, I do see that. They think that they're going to make massive amounts of money. But, like, the thing is, only 1%, like, probably less than even a tenth of 1% of people make it as a professional athlete. It ends up closing off a lot of your opportunities to do things that are a lot more realistic, like being an engineer. Or being a welder or, or getting an apprenticeship where you could make 60, 70, $80,000 and live a good life instead of hedging all of your, your your bets on something that you might have a very slim chance of actually doing.
1: Is that mindset pumped to minority children or is that just something that uh, minority parents are enamored
0: with? I think it's just a lack of representation. So like, you see yourself through windows and mirrors, like you see yourself. But if you can't see yourself as an engineer, as a doctor, as a dentist, as or whatever, then that's not an opportunity for you. But when you turn on the TV, you see your rappers, athletes, like you see them, even on reality TV, you see them all the time. You see yourself in those places. But, and I think that's what it is. It's just like a lack of representation. I try to make sure that my son is around like, engineers doctors lawyers and stuff like that that look like him like we try to find him books like where people are like in professions that look like him so that he knows that he has all of these doors that he could walk through
1: yeah that makes a lot of sense you have to be willing to make a relationship with the student
0: yeah you got to be willing to make a relationship but at the same time though, like when you don't see people that look like you in your history books in your English book at the head of your classroom at the head of your building like you don't see them in your science book like you don't see yourself in education. And when that happens, you don't see the possibilities for your future. So we got to find a way of including everyone because black people have made contributions like to history, to culture, to uh, mathematics. Same thing with Hispanic people. Same thing with Asian people. Like other people have done things. So we got to find a way to not just have a month, but to weave like our history into the tapestry of American history and English and stuff like that. kids there are opportunities and that are important to represent.
1: Yeah. And this is a conversation. Hey, this is a key conversation. This is one of those conversations where if you really have to dig in and listen to what we're saying, what we're really saying is that the tapestry of American history is woven by multiple cultures and not just one.
0: Yeah. Like in any part of history, we were there. So were uh, Hispanic people. So were Native Americans like in any part of history. Like, even, and I, I respect what Carter Jason did, like, with creating Black History Month, so I'm not saying anything about that because we weren't getting mentioned at all in history, so I get it. But if we're being real, like, Thomas Jefferson was hanging with Benjamin Banneker. Like, there are people that were there, but at the same time, while he's been friends with Benjamin Banneker, he had hundreds of slaves. And these people, man, I think it's James Madison's house, there are handprints of children that were enslaved in the basement the concrete. Cause they were the ones that built the basement. So it's completely delusional to, to talk about history in a way that only includes the accomplishments of people that are Caucasian.
1: This conversation is sparked by, we have a new president elect and that is, that brings about some anxiety to some people. And then some people, it brings in joy. What do you hope to see out of this new cultural aspect in the white house?
0: To be honest, like, my hope, I'm glad that, like, the tweets and all this stuff, like, all the madness will start to die down. But the main thing that I hope, is that people realize like that we got to do the work in between elections. Like we gotta be there for the midterm like election. And then we also need to like look out and win in local elections. Like the president does like nationally, like federally, there are things that the president does, but like the things that are most immediate to us are gonna happen locally. That's gonna be your attorney general, your district attorney, your county manager, like the comptroller. Like it's those things that we have not been looking at. Like we've only been looking at one thing. Like we need to look at everything, especially like the local election. Like I hope that's what people start thinking. Like instead of I'm gonna elect Obama and he's gonna give me, like he's gonna do everything and just make it better for all of us. That's not how it works. Like you end up losing midterm elections like this. Like we gotta do the work. Like it's on us. And then from the president, what I want is somebody that's willing to work with us as we do the work. Like that's that's really what I I hope, like I hope for out of Biden and uh, Kamala Harris. Like to be willing to work with us yeah. as we do the work instead of them do the work. Like how some parents are like you the teacher, you need you're responsible for them. Like no, like we need to do this together. This needs to be a partnership.
1: Should we hold the media more more yes. responsible for the way we are portrayed and the way um, information is disseminated?
0: Oh yeah. Like a lot of times, like, I talk to people, I know you probably heard it, like, Ferguson, but, like, it's, so, like, they made it seem like it was, like, mass hysteria everywhere. It wasn't, just was like, a couple streets. So, the news magnifies, like, all of the, these negative aspects. So, like, most people don't, don't commit a violent crime. So, if the news, like, they fan flames and they bring things up in a way that makes you think things are a lot more dangerous than they are, like, even, like, crime today is nothing compared to in the 80s and 90s. Like, it's way better. I feel like the news does have a lot of responsibility. Because I, I think negative news sells. So, like, they, they do a lot of it, like, to watch for and keep eyes on the TV.
1: I personally feel that the news characterized the um, division between both parties. I think that it, it also helped to polarize America uh, along with some rhetoric that happened on both sides. You look at one candidate or the previous president um, would say something and then he would get ate up in the media. But the responses were just as negative and we got to be careful of that when we are leading students because they can see that too for
0: sure yeah the, the media they definitely I, and i think there's like two-sided media like you have one media like side of media and we know who they are and like they're all conservative and it's everything's right on their side and then you have that like where they're completely like liberal and everyone's right on their side so when you have two sides that they believe that everything they do are right like there's no communication like, and when you can't communicate you really grow so we need to have like more responsible media. Strong like just honest and then probably closer to the center.
1: Yeah. Hey man, I wanna thank you for talking with us on our show. Where can I guess find you at?
0: Let's see. You can find me on I G T K E E O six. You can also find me on Twitter at the same handle about it
1: hey man i'm gonna have to follow you on twitter man i know that we're not facebook friends man and so your wife just recently had a birthday correct
0: yes she did yes she did right. That's
1: great happy birthday mrs key hey man it's really good talking to you sir i really appreciate okay. you and anytime we can work together my brother let's do that it's time for flip tips today's flip tip is brought to us by janet spire so today's lesson is how to share your flipboard magazine on social media Number one, open Flipboard and navigate to the magazine of your choice. Select the three dots on the top right side of the magazine. Select share the magazine from the top and drag the navigation down. Click on your magazine to select share. Scroll past the social media icons. Select one to share for your magazine. Type your post information and then select tweet to share it. Check your magazine post on Twitter or Facebook. Congratulations. You shared your first Flipboard magazine.
0: Subscribe to our Flipboard EDU podcast magazine.
1: Flipboard fam, thanks for sticking with me on this episode. I want to thank Terrell Key for talking with us about bridging the achievement gap and biases that support racism in education. Also, let's give a huge shout out to Aileen Laylor and Crystal Vanderboom for the editorials of the FLIP EDU Educators blog and the work that you ladies do weekly for our podcast. Also, remember, family, to subscribe to our Flipboard EDU magazine on flipboard.com where you can find the latest news in education. Also, please subscribe and share our podcast with an educator or colleague. Our podcast is available globally and everywhere you listen to podcasts. Until next time, family.